forge your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, welcome, Doc. This is our Super Bowl special because this episode is coming out on Super Bowl week. We're already at that time of year, man. It's crazy. I kind of get a little nervous because all of a sudden there's not going to be any more football. That makes me... Right. I know. Well, I know. That's always tough for me because I'm a real football fan. So this transition, I mean, I look forward to March Madness, but it's sort of a rough transition for me every year. But we do have the Masters coming up as well. And so Uh that's always a great thing to look forward to. But, But through the magic of show business... This episode is being released on the Monday of Super Bowl week, but we're actually recording it before the, uh, the conference playoffs. So we don't. We know there's four teams that are going to play this weekend. We don't know which two will emerge, but we know that two will emerge, and yes. uh, it's going to be an incredible week. And so what we want to do in this Super Bowl special is kind of tap into your experience of not only the NFL, Division I, NCAA college football, but also the NBA, a lot of other championship sports that you've been involved in and get some insights from you for our listeners about the kinds of things that have gone on throughout the season to bring these two teams to the forefront, the kinds of things that these two teams will be doing in the next few days to prepare for the big game. And then finally, the kinds of things are going to be decisive in those 60 minutes you know, of game time on the field they're going to allow somebody to hoist a trophy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really exciting because it is uh, um, bringing together many, many pieces uh, that all have to sync up. And uh, I think I'd start right out of the shoot that it's never just one person. You know, we do have our Tom Brady moments and, you know, we have those superstars, but it always does take a very unique system that, can make this run that can stay this resilient over time, because that's really what it is. It's a resiliency project. You're battering your body every week, traveling across the country from place to place. You're trying to sometimes piece together a team because key people are injured. There's just so many different moving parts going on. That's why we love the game so much because it's not, predictable. You know, if we knew exactly who was going to win all the time, it wouldn't be that interesting, but it is true. Any given Sunday, yeah. something something can happen. But in this case, we're seeing that culmination of resilience. I think the Super Bowl is really a the epitome of resilience. How is your team? Your team has hit some had some knocks across the way. It's kind of like your quote that you said uh, in uh, some other podcast, you know, everything's Mike Tyson said. The Mike Tyson quote, everyone's got a plan. Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of the way it is. Like every one of these teams, these last four teams have gotten punched in the mouth where something's happened. You know, Jalen hurts, you know, he gets hurt with his shoulder, right? You know, Patrick Mahomes last week, like yeah. playing the whole the, the whole ankle, game yeah. on yeah. one ankle, right? You know, 
49ers on their third quarterback. That I mean, usually the first guy goes and the season's over, right? Like, how is this team even in the running, right? You know? And then the Bengals, they've been just kind of lurking around up and down, and now all of a sudden nobody can stop them. Right. You know, it's just it's a it's a very interesting thing. And and I truly think it is a resiliency project to make it to February. If you can make it to February, you have to epitomize resilience. I want to back up a little bit and get your yeah. your insights from your experience into the organization as a whole. You know, I, I, I think, I, I know I personally love, absolutely love these kind of behind the scenes shows like Hard Knocks and All or Nothing on Amazon. You know, the one Hard Knocks, I think on HBO and Amazon's got All or Nothing or whatever, where they follow with cameras, you know, all the complexity of an NFL team over the course of the season. I think it's so interesting to go into those team rooms behind the scenes. But you know, you've seen this not only in the NFL, and what I'm going to say is you're on the road this week, once again, because you're always on the road. And uh, (laughs) I know that today you were meeting with an NFL team. We won't say who, but you were meeting with one of the teams that's going to be playing this weekend. And you have been inside those team rooms, inside those executive coaching suites, inside those, those things so much. You know, we watch the players on the field, but it's not just the players on the field. In order for them to be on the field and play that, there's a huge organization behind that that has enabled that. And all of those people have to bring it every day. Everybody has to work together. There almost has to be precision and power and focus on everybody's part in that organization. So can you talk about how these, you used the term project, how, how these organizations, the project of the season for a professional sports team? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, definitely a culture that uh, a culture is like growing, you know, like a plant. You know, you have to feed the soil, you have to nurture it, you have to care for it. And you have to be very, very disciplined and use particular structures, uh, parameters for which that organization is going to run. You know, I've had the opportunity to work with six different NFL teams, actually seven different NFL teams. And I've seen the inside management of a lot of different uh, of those teams. And hands down, the teams that when the management structure is developing a culture that, yes, is about winning, but it's about no one piece is greater than the other pieces. Okay. I think that would be the thing that I see, you know, looking in is that the successful organizations have this way of creating a system that leans on each other and, and that trust each other. And, um, one just one thing going wrong, the whole thing doesn't topple because they can kind of have this elasticity that allows them to flex. And this will get a little off point here, but it does uh, have some bearing on this is we're really talking about systems theory, like how a system works. Okay. Yes. Um, And when we talk about systems theory, Um, There's all kinds of systems, but I go back to looking at family systems where I've done a lot of work. So my my dissertation was on how the family system works in a crisis situation 
uh, particularly the death of a child to cancer. Wow. And how does how does the system work with that and either transfer that transfer that into some type of positive stress that actually makes the system stronger, or how does the system take that in a negative direction and the family system actually breaks apart? And so, uh, my wife Amy was a um, a pediatric nurse for bone trans bone marrow transplant unit in Atlanta. And um, so during graduate school, she was doing this and we got to know all these families. And it's back in the early days of bone marrow transplant in kids. And uh, so there wasn't always a success story, but we got to know these families and we start to observe from the outside that some of these families, even though it was a traumatic, awful event, a couple of years down the road, it seemed like the family was actually stronger and their siblings of the surviving sibling was actually like going way further than their peers in school and sports and academics and all kinds of things. And then we'd see this other subset where the systems would actually drive those siblings into a negative, like more emotional issues, more behavioral issues, poor school performance. And I really got intrigued by, they both experienced the same thing, but why is one system doing one thing and another system doing another, right? And so it's a long answer to your question, maybe a little bit too much science for the sports podcast, but uh, it does have a bearing on it because I see, as I look at these systems, the same variables going on. And so what I did was I, I looked at a design out there where it looks at systems across how well a system communicates, how well is the communication, and then it looks at how adaptable the system is. So some systems can be very, very rigid. Like everything has to be done the same way all the time. And some of our listeners out there grew up in homes where it was just like that, right? It was all very rigid. Or you can have a family system that is over adaptable, where there's no rules, where right. everything's just loosey goosey, yeah. right? Chaos. Okay. And then you have this other dimension. It's like an axis that goes X and Y axis that actually works with the roles that the people play. So are they independent? Like, are they islands to themselves? Or are they enmeshed where everybody's into everybody's business? Okay. So imagine these two axes kind of crossing each other, rules and roles. And what I discovered in, the, in my dissertation, as I studied these some 60 families, was that it wasn't really any one particular extreme that defined this, but it was more people that were towards the middle mm. where, where the roles weren't too independent and not too enmeshed. And they all, then the rules weren't too rigid or too flexible. There was kind of like this middle ground and anybody that stayed in those middle quadrants always leaned towards success where it was people out in the extremes that really had the, the main issues, right? So they had room to maneuver. Yes. In some pivot. sense, right? Yes. Yeah, to pivot, to maneuver. They, they, they had a, a sort of elasticity to the system, to the family system, 
and translating that to a sports franchise or, you know, an NFL yeah. team, an NBA team. I remember way back a dozen years ago when you were working with a particular NBA team. And I, I remember one of the fun things that you allowed me to be involved with is you were involved in making recommendations for a new general manager for that yeah. team. And I remember the kinds of things you were looking at, which is how elastic is this potential GM's thinking? And I think, I think one day you came in and said, well, we have, they have five candidates. And one of the questions, and all these, all of these individuals are, are bright and experienced. But the question is, how elastic is their thinking? How, what's their capability to roll with all the things that could happen during an NBA season and make all of these dynamic decisions on, on the fly, you know, when, they, when the team does get pen, punched in the mouth, however that happens. Exactly. Right. So when you look at the locker room, right? I mean, going into this Super Bowl week, everyone's going to be wondering what's going on in the locker room. But it's not just the locker room. It's the coaches' rooms. It's, a, it's, exactly. the, it's the management offices. It's that whole organization. And is there intelligence and elasticity? Is there emotional intelligence? Is the system able to roll, right? Yeah. Yeah. And can it flex with it? I mean, I think a, a good example is if you watch the Eagles when, you know, uh, Jalen Hurts went down, you know, it was a little rocky because they, they yeah. the system switched, but they found a way to work around that and win that last game and uh, kind of get through that. So they, they weren't so rigid that the whole thing moved. Yes, Jalen is very important, but their organization found a way to pivot to say, okay, how else are we going to uh, adapt to this situation? Look at what happened with the Chiefs last week. Yeah. When, I mean, that was amazing. Um, right. You know, um, Mahomes goes out, backup comes in, Henny comes in and has the longest drive in Chiefs history. Like, what, what the heck is that? That's an organization that, yes, Mahomes is you know, a key player to that organization, but that organization trusts its system in right. such a way that it can flex that that wasn't, Oh my goodness, the whole thing's woe is us. What are we going to do? Right. It's like, we're going to do our system and lean into our system. You know, look at the 49ers. Um, right. I mean, swapping quarterbacks, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. right. You got Kyle Shanahan who's saying, look, we've, we've got to be able to flex with this. We have to roll with this. We have to adapt systems. I mean, you know, receivers have to adapt roots. Everybody's got to adapt. But again, coming back to it, you know, we, we focus so much on the locker room and so much on the players on the field. But the thing that fascinates me is for those players to be on the field for those 60 minutes, there's hundreds of people Big that, time. That, are, that, are, that have to be working, have to be flexible in their thinking, have to be adapting. And so, you know, what I hear you saying is to some degree, right, like this is the whole thing with the NFL. There's this kind of parody, right? Like on any given Sunday, any team is a good team. But by the time we get to February, we're yeah, looking it's totally at different. The, yeah. Yeah. But, but when in some sense, what the selective, like if there's a sort of natural selection of all of these months, it's come down to the most resilient teams, the right. teams that have been able to be punched in the mouth and bounce back. Right. Yeah. And I would put that into the bucket of recovery, like teams that are understanding the importance of for every stress, there has to be an equal recovery. And I'm going to take a gamble, okay, that the four teams that are currently in these narrowing down to the Super Bowl 
all have some pretty complex systems for addressing recovery. That's not saying that the other teams out there don't, but they've tapped into some things that they're not just pushing, 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 pushing. You can't. The human body cannot do that. What would be examples of those kinds of of recovery systems, Doc? Focusing on sleep would be a number one, you know, and um, really looking at not just quantity of sleep, which is very important, but the quality, looking at the stages of that, measuring that, understanding the changes in your hormones that happen. The field study that we did for the NBA, where we looked at over, you know, 400 hormone samples and tracked those throughout the season. The reason we were tracking those hormone samples was to assess how much adrenaline was getting released and then consequently how well the body was responding with other hormones to calm that adrenaline down and what sleep deprivation ended up doing to the stress hormones and those kind of things. But teams that are listening to that, you know, um, I worked with this one team a number of years ago where their quarterback, where they were going to go do a a game in England, right? And the quarterback was all about getting ready for the, ready for that trip. And so we did a lot of resynchronization of his circadian rhythm and he went and had a great game, but the organization, it was funny. The coach says, you know, it's just like any other game. It's just like any other game. You know, I'm like, are you kidding me? And he was kind of poking a little bit of fun at the quarterback who was like trying to do all these things. And the quarterback was ready. But if you looked at that team, it wasn't ready because it wasn't any other game. You can't take somebody completely off their sleep cycle, basically put them on night shift and have them play one of the most intense games on the planet and expect them to do well. I mean, people were dropping like flies and our quarterback set the record, I think, that week for the most passes thrown in London. So what I hear you saying is as we go into this game, there's two t- two organizations, and I just don't want to say two teams, but in a sense, two organizations, complex yes. organizations that in a sense, all the teams started out, all the organizations started out, they say, with a lot of talented, a lot of bright people. But these two organizations have been, in some sense, the most resilient. I mean, some ways you could look at it as the last two standing. Um, right. Now, this week, uh, this podcast is being released on Monday, game six days away. During these days and hours leading up to the game, what are these players, coaches, organizations, what are they doing? What should they be doing to prepare to be ready to play? Yeah, I mean, they're going to do the natural things, you know, preparing with game film, you know, all those kind of things. But they're at a moment where the key piece in all of this is being present, okay? The, if you ask any coach during these experiences, there's so much insanity going on this week that the distraction is so much that it can take you out of being present. And this is what you find in elite athletes that show up. You also see it in people that excel in any area of life is they show up for the Super Bowl, whatever that Super Bowl is. Maybe that's a board meeting. Maybe it's an exam. I don't know. But but they're there. They show up and they're being present. So the team that's going to be ready and be the most resilient in the situation is going to be the one that's the most present, the most that is connected 
with the ground that they're walking on, that they are there where, where their feet are, not in all the distraction. They're not, not also stuck in the what ifs, like what if that happens? Something goes a little haywire and it will. It's the Super Bowl. Maybe the lights will go out. Whoever thought that would happen, right? You know, <laughs> um, but something's going to happen. And are they going to be able to remain present and in the moment? Or is it going to be the what ifs? Or are they going to get trapped by the what abouts? Oh my goodness, that happened in the first quarter, that fumble and that change of possession and the touch, the quick touchdown. And the, now it's what about? And I'm dragging this chain of what about in the second, third, and fourth quarter. The team that can have the shortest memory, okay, when these things happen and not be what ifing themselves through the game, but they can be a hundred percent in their circle of influence. And that's everybody. That's not just the guys on the field. That's the that's coaching the staff, staff that's the that's coaches, the executives, GMs, the, the it's team everybody. Equi- the equipment managers, the trainers, everybody involved, right? Everybody is in the moment. And we've talked about this many times before. Those are the movers and shakers in the world, the ones that are present. You know, you talk about that showing up, right? And I think this is always, you know, over the last 50 years, whatever it is, what are we on? Super Bowl, whatever, uh, right? This 56. is always... 56. I think it's 56. Right? 56. Because it matches my age. <laughs> there I think you go. I think it's always my... Yeah, I think... There you is. go. You've just dated yourself. So, right? So, when you... seven. You don't it's even 57. know. You don't even yeah, know. Yeah, I'm 57. That's what I am. <laughs> There's some cognitive decline going on yeah. here, Doc. You got to remember this. So when we when we look at uh, that, right, over the last 56 years, 57 years, you know, one of the raps on the Super Bowl is sometimes they're great games, but many times they're really lopsided games. And there's that. that's exactly this, the phrase that gets a lot of times used on the Monday after the Super Bowl is, whatever one of the teams didn't show up and it's kind of hard to understand because you'll look over the history of this game and you'll see team uh, some team that did so well all season and then just didn't show up right it's not just a coincidence some one team just might not show up yeah absolutely and i think it's um it's also what happens with that not showing up is the the over release of cortisol that happens at the wrong point in time. So that's interesting. So like the the inflection, you only have so much of this rocket fuel. And if you you burn the rocket fuel too early or too late, talk about that. Yeah. So I see this a lot with rookies. We used to see this in the NBA a lot because we were measuring so much cortisol releases. And you would well, I'm sorry, these. Doc, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but for our listeners, t- say what cortisol is. Th- that's adrenaline, right? I mean, talk yeah. about that a little bit. Maybe unpack that. Give some context. Yeah, so um, in uh, whenever you're faced with a crisis, whether real or as in a human, we can actually make crises that are exactly the same as a real thing. Think about something and worry about it and make it a crisis. But what happens is when that crisis happens, you immediately... Re- release epinephrine and norepinephrine. Those are like the the quick responders. They're like right on the spot, right? And they're there for a couple seconds. And then right behind that comes adrenaline referred to as cortisol, 
okay, which is a little bit longer lasting. It still doesn't last a long time, but it's in your system. And the way the cortisol gets released is your brain, the electricity in your brain starts to overfire. So it starts to speed up and then a chemical gets released to your hypothalamus. And then uh, the hypothalamus releases a chemical to your pituitary gland. And then your pituitary gland goes, sends a ke- chemical all the way down to the adrenal glands and they pump out adrenaline. Norepinephrine, epinephrine, and then right behind that is cortisol. And cortisol is what you measure as a reading of how much stress somebody's experiencing. It's also necessary to have certain cortisol burst to set your circadian rhythm. Um, but but in stressful situations, right? I mean, this really is like rocket fuel. So this is the the mother who lifts the car yes. in a car accident to get her child out of the burning car or whatever, right? I mean, this is this enormous rocket fuel that can flood the body at, at critical moments, but you only have so much of it and it only burns so long, right? Yeah, and the primary reason for that is what it's doing is it's transforming your cells to absorb more sugar than you would normally absorb. That's really one of the main purposes of cortisol. But you only have a finite amount of sugar in your blood system, okay? You might have more volumes of other things, but the sugar gives you this huge surge of energy when the cortisol says, okay, cells, triple your intake. And so that signal that comes through the cortisol causes this massive surge of energy and you can do some pretty amazing things, but it's finite. It doesn't last for long periods of time. So I was telling you, I would measure this in these rookies and they would burn through all their cortisol or huge bursts of cortisol before they ever took the court to for shoot around. You know, like it'd be like, what are you doing? And they'd be like, I'm wasted and I haven't even stepped on the court. I mean, they haven't I mean, even I, run up and down the court. So you look at it, you look at this game this weekend, right? It's 60 minutes of game time. I don't have 60 minutes of, of court of no. adrenaline. In no, me. no, I no, mean, what, no, like, no. You know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, right? I mean, there's a few big plays or one drive, right? So what you're saying is if you burn, if you burn, you know, your, your fuel prematurely, you got nothing, nothing you can't show well you can't show up there's nothing left yeah. you know you, you know, and so if you get in the what ifs and the what abouts and the distractions and the you know this is our only opportunity all the press stuck, the press day and all this kind of hoop along yeah. and all that right yeah and you get sucked into that you can start playing that game in your head before the game's even started and in playing it you play it in stress activate the HPA axis and you've got cortisol all over the place and then there's nothing left. You're not going to be able to show up. It's the one that can control that use of adrenaline and not leverage that the entire game, but have it in critical reserve points to use it at times, but sometimes not use it at all. Was it who was the, was it Joe Montana that was the one that was yawning at the, yeah, on that drive? you're the one who turned me on to that. There's this classic film of Joe Montana and he's in this drive and he's got like six or eight seconds left on the clock to win the Super Bowl. And Joe goes out into the huddle and it's like, I don't know, it's like fourth down or something like that yeah, with five seconds to go crazy. when he's down yeah. by, you know, one or four points or something. And, and the camera comes in and Joe's in the huddle. And he's yawning 
<laughs> right? You know, he's like almost falling asleep, right? Oh yeah, I got to go do this thing, right? Yeah. But then when the snap comes, man, he is dialed in and that's when that rocket, he burns that fuel. Yeah. You can't burn that fuel without an equal reaction to prep for that fuel. Right. So if you haven't been doing the right parasympathetic adjustments to your nervous system with your breathing, with your mindset, uh, with managing what the autonomic nervous system is doing, then when you release it, if you're going to release that adrenaline, when you release it, then you're done if you haven't balanced it. If you balanced it, you can use a little, come back. Use a little, come back. So what are the things this week that, especially the coaching staff, is trying to do in managing their players, especially their less experienced players have never been to the, the big game before. What are they doing in the like, you know, 72, 48, 24 hours up this game to make sure that their guys are going to show up and have that rocket fuel in the tank? What kinds of things do they need to be doing so that they've got precision and power and focus? So I know one thing that they won't be doing. And this I saw a few years back with a team that I wasn't working with, but I was working with a player on the team and he was asking me if he should do this. And the team was recommending that he use three shots of espresso the two days before the game uh, throughout the day to get amped up for the game. That's definitely <laughs> not what these teams will do because they'll understand a little bit more science, hopefully, uh, than doing relying on espresso. No Red, no red Bull <laughs> shots, right? You know, yeah, the day like, before going up to it. Maybe the team was sponsored by Starbucks. I don't know. But um, no, they're, what they're going to be doing, I, what uh, I would say as a system, one is going to be, I think, ex accentuating that it is the entire system. We are a band of brothers here, okay? And we're going to be able to lean into each other. Somebody's going to go down and that's going to be a good, that's going to not be a good thing, but the next man is going to be ready to go. And they're going to, they're not going to be like, we're only going to win this on one man's shoulders. A good coach is going to push back into their culture and their system and say, we lean into our system. Our system will take us there. The other thing is they're really going to be, I think a good system is really going to be looking at rest and sleep. And that's, yes, there's going to be distractions. But how can we try to find that space in between the distractions to really be able to get recentered, get calm, but focused at the same time and, and getting as much sleep? But there's demands on these guys, right, this week. I mean, there's temptations, like, you know, but there's also demands, right? You know, the media wants extra interviews and all of this kind of stuff, right? So they're, they're you know, I know you work a lot with a lot of players on their routines and their rhythms. And I know you work with players who, you know, map out their day and 15-minute increments and all this. And so now you have this travel, this extra week of all of this hoopla, and it just disrupts all of their rhythms uh, in preparation. So is the successful team or the successful coaching staff, the successful organization really keeping these players in their routines? Yeah, I think they're going to identify that the distractions are coming in, but they're going to try to make it look very similar to the routines that they've had for the last 19 games or whatever it is to get to this point. So that at some level, yes, it's very unique because it's more of a entertainment kind of event, but yet the coach is going to 
drive in. It's like the system we talked about earlier, where it's not too rigid, but it's not too flexible. Well, the, the Super Bowl pushes on all this like flexibility, like doing all these crazy things and not having any boundaries. The coach is going to initiate not too many rigid boundaries, but enough to protect his team so that they can be in the moment and play it the way that they practice it. So, you know, the time you go to sleep, the time when you wake up, the time when you eat your meals, the way you do your practice, but also like even on game day, right? There's all this extra stuff, you know, there's all this entertainment and everything else. And I know you talk a lot about uh, how, you know, light and noise and all of these other things can affect you know, the autonomic nervous system. So these players, as you're getting up to the big game, the literally the hours and the minutes before it, there's just so much going on. The fireworks, the noise, the cameras, the, you know, the music, the rock stars, the whole bit. Are there some things particularly that they're doing in the team room to sort of get their focus, get their power, get their precision dialed in? Um, well, I don't know for everybody, but I know what I would recommend and what I've seen with, you know, some of my athletes over the years is that we hold into that rhythm. Like, you know, I have a particular quarterback that he actually has a device that at his locker at halftime before the team addresses, uh, before the coach addresses the team, he will sit there and do four minutes of these particular exercises that we have to induce more uh, oxygen intake, to calm down the nervous system, to put him back at center, to recalibrate the cortisol releases. And uh, it's very fascinating to actually see the pictures of these that he'll send me of his session at halftime, which is really uh, amazing how much he's able to recenter. And so if we've kind of worked that, kind of like we talked earlier about that groove or developing that, we got to find a, some type of semblance of that that, that groove that they've experienced before. It'll be different because of all the other nuances of the Super Bowl, but they're going to be looking for that groove that they've done where they're going to reset the uh, autonomic nervous system, especially at half. My players are always taught about how to, when they're not on point, so if they're on defense and the offense is on the field, what are they doing to recalibrate the aut autonomic nervous system and vice versa? Um, they'll be working on those things to be able to get back in that groove, resetting the autonomic nervous system. Okay. So now game time approaches, right? <laughs> and they've done, right? So what we've said is over all of these months, these two teams have been the most resilient, the most able, like there's that great speech that Sylvester Stallone gives in the one Rocky Balboa movie, right? Where he says, you know, life is not about, you know, getting knocked down. It's about how much you can get knocked down and keep getting back up again. So these yeah. teams have gotten back up again over and over despite whatever's happened to them. They're the last two men standing, so to speak. Now this week they've dialed in, they've tried to maintain their routines, not burn their matches early. Now they come out, they do the flip with the big ceremonial coin and the game begins. Now, what are the things that are going to be for our listeners as they watch this game? What are they going to be the decisive moments? Where is power and precision and focus going to come into this game that are those kind of game-turning moments that lead to one team to hold that Vince Lombardi trophy and the other to, you know, walk away in shame? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think it's going to be how they 
in this microcosm of the Super Bowl, how resilient they're going to be in that moment. So it's going to be the ones that really make the halftime adjustments and the organizations that are known for doing that. You know, and you you see, if you look at the current four teams, there's certain ones that make particular, they have, their system can flex such that they're able to make these adjustments that, hey, all of a sudden we just got hit in the mouth three times. What are we going to do to change getting hit in the mouth? And how are we going to adapt and be resilient? And we're going to, we're going to see that particular in the microcosm of the Super Bowl, you're going to see an outworking of the macro level of what happened throughout the year for this org- for these organizations. And the ones that can pivot, whether they're ahead or behind, and make the adjustments are going to be key. It's going to be key. Now, in the area of precision, power, and focus, which after doing this stuff for 30 years, I really narrow it down to these three things, precision, power, and focus. The brain can only act and you're only as fast as your weakest eye and visually what you're taking in. So working on the the ones that have developed those visual skills, so they're very, very accurate as far as timing and depth and peripheral vision, that's the beginning, the initiation of any motor action that happens. So the ones that are really good at that and they've devoted that, they'll come up on top. But not just that, it's not in a vacuum. You have to manage your power, which we've talked about before, which is how we take in oxygen, how that works with our heart rate variability and the other systems within our body. And the ones that are able to manage that and leverage their energy, 90% of every player on that field's energy is going to come from oxygen. And how is he managing that? That's going to be very important in relation to power. And then the last one, the most critical one is going to be focus. Focus is kind of the ratio of the input to the power and and how that's going to be managed. Uh, Are they going to be stressed focused or are they going to be calm focused? Totally different. The stress focused lacks creativity. It lacks stamina. It can't pivot. And it's very short lived. The calm focused is the one that can be creative. It can step into alpha waves and come up with new ideas. It can last from the, the first tick of the clock to the, till the buzzer sounds at the end of the game. It has a lot of stamina with it. And it has this ability to just pivot under pressure. It doesn't just grind, grind, grind. It actually knows how to pivot. And so the ones that have the combination of those three things, I think are really going to be the ones that is the team that comes out on top. Well, you know, there's going to be things that you can't control, right? There's going to mm-hmm. be there's going to be weird bounces of the ball. There's going to be inevitably there's going to be a bad officiating call. There's going to be just things that are out of your capacity to manage. But then there are also going to be these things where there's opportunities, opportunistic yes. moments, yeah. right? And, you know, so often these games turn turn on a turnover, right? Defense wins championships. So a lot of times it's the critical turnover at a critical moment that was, you know, where the tide of the game shifted. And what are those kinds of the ability or the capacity? What should our listeners be watching for? You know, what can they see in on the field as they're watching this game, the eyes of the players and the ways they react to give them a sense of who's, who's sort of ready for this? Yeah, I think you're going to find the team that looks more like a team, like they're working together. They're encouraging each other. They're supporting each other. They're getting fired up 
when somebody makes a great run, they're not frustrated or throwing their hands up because they didn't get the ball. You know, they're working together as a team. That's what you're going to see. You're going to see, um, you know, the creativity that comes out. It's hard to be creative when you're stressed. And so the team that's, that's more creative and um, we start to see some things happen, they're trying different things. Um, that's probably going to be the team that's not stuck in a, in a crisis mode. Can you see it in their eyes? You know, as a listener, now we all have big HD TVs on a wall. And, you know, it's so incredible to watch television now, watch a game like this, because you can just see things you never could have seen before. Honestly, you can see things that you can't see if you're there in the stands, because you, you have camera will zoom in on coaches and on quarterbacks, on players. What do you, what do you see in their faces and their eyes, right? I mean, some quarterback, one of the teams is going to start harassing the, the other quarterback, right? He's going to be under stress. He's going to be under pressure. What are you looking for in those players, in those when the camera cuts into the head coach on the sideline? Yeah. How, how do you grasp who's sort of got it? Who showed yeah. up? Yeah. I think some of that's dependent on personalities. I mean, there's certain coaches who just always act a certain way, but I think you see some of these players who you can see that they're really enjoying the game. Like, like they are, they're having the moments, they're making the gestures, you know, they do those kind of iconic things that, that we know them for. And you'll actually see a smile on their face, you know, or you'll see them figuring out how they can help each other out. How are they pursuing the ball? Uh, Especially, you know, we talk about defense wins championships, right? And I think that's very true. I think in a, in the context of football, that, Defense is really kind of embodies resilience <laughs> because you don't know what the offense is going to do, right? You're waiting. I'm waiting for you to throw something at me. And sometimes it's something I've never seen before. And I now have to be, have this elasticity. And then I have to respond and I have to be resilient. And that's why defense wins championships is they are able to be, they have this flexibility to adjust. They're waiting, throw it at me. What are you going to do? And then they respond. And these defenses, especially, you know, down to these last four teams, the pursuit that these defensive hat that you'll see in these defenses is totally different. I mean, the speed at which everybody's moving at all times, you know, I think if you find out, well, there's only these four guys going after the ball. Well, that's not a good predictor of how this thing's going to turn out. But if you see the whole team is just constantly moving and the defense is pivoting and reacting, that's a good place to put your focus. And, and two, you know, one team may be behind at halftime. I mean, famously a number of years ago, right? Brady was way down at halftime and came back and, you know, sort of unleashed, a, opened a can of whatever in the second half, right? But there was that composure, that sense of I never lost my composure. I never yeah. lost my focus. Uh, we may have had a few breaks go against us. We may have seen some things that we weren't prepared for, but we made those pivots and adjustments at halftime, right? Yeah. So, so for our listeners, you know, this they're they're being treated to the two teams that are the most resilient. They should be looking for the team that's the most prepared, and then they should be looking at the team that's reacting the best, right? And seems yeah. to 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 be present. So, but your last words for our listeners going into this week 
in terms of the things that they should be anticipating and looking for and how they can apply that to the Super Bowls in their own lives? Yeah, I think uh, that's a great, great question is that um, as we watch the Super Bowl, it's entertainment. It's exciting. You know, these are iconic moments. No matter what happens, it's going to be great. And a lot of people put in a lot of effort to get there. But we should kind of step back and say, you know, what got these people here? And is there something I can learn from that? And I would say one of the things that got them there is a mindset, is a certain type of mindset to prepare to win. The organ we see that at a macro level within the organization, but we see that in the individual, you know, and to take that as a challenge of, you know, what is my mindset? You know, these guys aren't compromising on things. They're not saying, well, today I'm going to have a cheat day and make my adjust my adjustment on my diet for this week, or I'm not going to throw in my needed, you know, bench presses, or I'm not going to get my sleep. These guys are a mindset that's putting them in a qualifying category that lets them to be the elite in the world. They just shouldn't just happen to be there, right? And I think that's a challenge to us because we have a lot of people that are listening that are are very gifted people. And what are we doing to prepare our mindset? Are we setting expectations for ourselves that are limiting and what is it that we can really do? And whatever you think your potential is, I'm going to tell you that it's more than that, right? And um, you may never play in the Super Bowl, but in the Super Bowl of your life, as a spouse, as a parent, as a student, as an employee, I think you can raise the Lombardi Trophy. I, th- I believe in you. You know, I believe that you can do that. And, and that those moments you have to prepare for, they don't just happen. These teams were resilient all year long, and it's going to take resilience in our own lives for us to be able to lift our own Lombardi trophy. Right. If we, if we undertake that seriously and we make the changes we need to make, then we can, you know, perform at our potential, right? We're not all going to, we're not all going to be able to, as you say, play in a Super Bowl, but we can be at our potential and be the best that we can be in the best versions of ourselves. So this is going to be an exciting week, Doc, and I uh, can't wait to, to watch the game and to get uh, your thoughts afterwards. But thanks for taking some time while you're out with actually one of the four teams uh, today. Uh, we won't say too much about that, but you're enjoying some time with them and spending some time with those players. And uh, it's going to be a fantastic game. And we look forward to uh, talking to you afterwards. I know one of the things that you're doing is you're working with some very elite uh, golf teams, uh, Division One yeah. NCAA golf teams right now. And and next week on the podcast, you're going to be talking about the neurophysiology of elite golf. And we can't wait to hear about that. Yeah, it's been exciting getting to work with a lot of these collegiate golfers and can't wait to talk more about that. Okay. Hey, thanks, Doc. We'll talk soon. Yeah, see you, Greg. All right, bye. This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com.